The Twins in the Wood, read by Anne Reed. Once long ago, but not so terribly far away, the Emperor of Levithia lay dying. He was not an old man, but he had caught a fever and quickly became weaker and weaker. Before long it was evident that he did not have long left. The Emperor's brother, Lord Grath, sat by his bedside as his life faded. The Emperor's twin children, barely into their teenage years, were also close by. Rigel, the Emperor's most trusted adviser, visited often, and in between visits he ensured that the business of governing the Empire continued smoothly, despite the Emperor's worsening condition. As the Emperor's death drew closer, the Empire's nobles and senior officials also gathered to be with their leader. At last, the Emperor drew his final breath. Lord Grath pulled a sheet up over his deceased brother's face. Rigel, Grath said, have the council gather at once. They must know immediately of the Emperor's death, and they must appoint a regent to rule on behalf of the children until they come of age. Grath then sighed and turned to the twins. The boy, Asher, was pale with grief. His sister, Ella, fought back her tears. You are both emperor now, Grath told them. You shall rule together, just as you were born together. Whoever is appointed as regent will guide you and help you, until you are old enough and capable of ruling on your own. Next, Grath turned to the emperor's physician. You must examine the body he said quietly. This illness struck quickly and has infected no one else. I should like to be sure that it was indeed misfortune that took my beloved brother from us, and not something more sinister. The Council of Levithia convened that same day. They confirmed that Asher and Ella would rule jointly as the new emperor, and the council appointed their uncle, Lord Grath, as regent of Levithia. The twins might have had the title, but it was Grath who would have the power, at least for the next two years, until they came of age. But the next two years was not long enough for Grath. When the Emperor's physician determined that the Emperor had died from poisoning, Grath seized his chance. While their father had been alive, the twins had kept to themselves. They did not take part in affairs of state— and had a reputation for being aloof and cold. In actual fact, they were simply quiet and happiest in their own company. It was not difficult for Lord Grath to paint them as ambitious and cruel, craving the Emperor's throne for themselves, and unwilling to wait for their father's natural death. The only one in the council to speak up for the twins was Rigel. But such was Lord Grath's power and influence that Rigel himself was denounced. Rigel pointed out that the twins could not have obtained or administered the poison themselves. They were too young, too inexperienced. Lord Grath had an answer to that. They had been helped. And who was better placed to commit the actual crime than Rigel himself? Perhaps Rigel had felt that the Emperor no longer paid him enough attention. Perhaps he thought that the young twins would be easier to manipulate. Whatever the reason, it was clear, according to Grath, that Rigel 
had been the ringleader. Rigel was sentenced to execution. But he still had friends on the council and in the palace, and he slipped away before he could be arrested. The twins, however, were not so lucky. They appeared before the council, and despite their tearful protestations of innocence, were found guilty of their father's murder. They, too, were sentenced to death. Lord Grath watched with well-concealed satisfaction as the children were placed in an obliteration module. He feigned sadness as the hatch was closed and the countdown began. A large crowd gathered along with the council to watch as the obliteration module was launched from the surface of Levithia and started its journey into space and through the seven systems. But at the point where the module was supposed to explode into a million fragments and kill its occupants instantly, something went wrong. The obliteration module did not explode. It kept going. Inside, the two children huddled together, awaiting their death. They did not realize that their lives had been spared until they saw a planet appear through the module's only window. The module had entered the atmosphere of this planet, and the children were still alive. The module burned down through the sky, and the inside grew hotter and hotter. Just as the twins felt they were about to burst into flame, just as they realized that they were doomed to die after all, the module plowed into the planet's surface. It bounced and twisted, but mercifully remained intact. Eventually, it came to a halt. The final jolt, as the module struck a tree, jarred open the sealed hatchway, and the twins looked out in surprise at a clear orange sky, framed by a canopy of trees. Shaken and groggy but glad to be alive, Asher and Ella clambered out of the module. They found themselves in a wood, but immediately surrounding them was the charred destruction their module had wreaked when it descended on the planet. For a long time they stood holding hands and looked around them. They had no idea where they were or what they should do. We'll need to find food, Asher said at last. And shelter, Ella added. So, still hand in hand, brother and sister set off into the wood. Despite the fact that two suns shone down from above, the light dimmed as they made their way deeper among the trees. Shadows darkened, and the orange sky was all but hidden by the branches and creepers above them. Several times they stopped to listen, thinking they had heard something in the undergrowth. But apart from a few birds, the wood was silent. The day wore into evening, and it became darker still. There was no hint of civilization. The twins had hoped that they might find a village, or even a town. But the wood showed no sign of thinning or ending. Perhaps, they thought, this whole planet is covered in trees and woodland. Through the covering of trees, twin moons shone down on the twin children. Asher and Ella had been walking for hours, they decided they must find somewhere to sleep. I suppose we shall have to sleep on the ground, Ella said. 
They found an area where the ground was slightly hollowed and collected bracken and ferns to soften the hard floor of the forest. They kept larger branches and leaves to pull over themselves for warmth. They were both hungry, but they were even more tired. Before long, Asher and Ella were asleep, each clutching the other in a comforting embrace. While they slept, the forest watched. A pair of eyes glinted in the moonlight, staring out from among the trees. Soon another pair of eyes joined it, then more. Gradually, cautiously, the watching creatures emerged from the shadows and moved closer to the twins, curious about these strange creatures who had fallen from the sky. As the night grew darker and colder, the creatures spread more leaves over the sleeping children to keep them warm. When the morning sun struggled through the leaves and branches, Ella was the first to wake. Staring up at the roof of the forest, it took her several moments to remember where she was. She sat up slowly, blinking the sleep from her eyes. Then she saw the creatures gathered round, watching her and Asher. She grabbed her brother. Asher was immediately awake and pulled his sister to him. Trembling, they both stared back at the strange animals who were curiously watching them. The creatures were like large dogs, but with elongated snouts and black and white striped fur. I don't think they mean us any harm, Asher said at last. They could have attacked us while we slept. One of the braver animals tentatively approached the children. It was almost as big as they were. For a moment, it stood looking closely at them. Then it leaned forward, and its tongue licked out across Ella's face. Asher laughed at his sister's expression of surprise and disgust. It just wants to be friends, he said. And so it did. Seeing the success of this first exchange, the other animals also ventured closer. Asher and Ella patted and stroked each of them. From the quiet mewing noises they made, more like cats than dogs, they seemed to enjoy the attention. They obviously could not speak, but they understood Ella when she asked them for food and mimed eating. The animals led the way through the woods, and the twins found themselves in an area where large yellow fruit hung from the trees that grew out of the red grass. From somewhere nearby came the sound of running water. Ella carefully took a bite from one of the fruit. She was ready to spit it out if it tasted nasty or poisonous, but it was sweet and delicious. The twins, who were starving, ate their fill. When the children had finished eating, the animal water. Ella carefully took a bite from one of the fruit. She was ready to spit it out if it tasted nasty or poisonous, but it was sweet and delicious. The twins, who were starving, ate their fill. When the children had finished eating, the animals led them to a stream where they scooped up handfuls of water to drink. 
It was cold and fresh, and tasted slightly sweet. The animals looked after the children, showing them where to find more fruit and water. They helped to drag branches and logs from fallen trees so that Asher and Ella could build a shelter. The obliteration module was too small to be comfortable on its own, but they were able to strip out the seats to make more space. The hatchway served as a good door to the makeshift dwelling, and out the front of the module they used the branches and logs to construct a kind of porch. It was small and humble, but it was solid and kept them dry and warm. Neither of the children said it, but they both knew that they were destined to spend the rest of their lives in the wood. While the animals were welcoming and helpful, and their cottage, as they came to think of it, was comfortable, every day followed the same routine. They ate, they explored, and they slept. Before long it started to grow repetitive, and it made them miss their father and life they had lost all the more. Then, one day, a man arrived. He walked out of the trees and up to the cottage, wearing a long cloak with the hood pulled up so that the twins could not see his face. When he spoke, his voice seemed familiar, but neither twin could quite place it. Not then. He had a large bag slung over his shoulder which he set down by the door when Asher and Ella came out to meet him. Happy birthday, the man said. The twins stared at him. They hadn't even realized that it was their birthday. Who are you? Asher asked at last. Where have you come from? We thought we were the only people on this planet, Ella added. The man nodded, his face shrouded by his hood. My name is not important, he said, although I have come a long way to see you. To see us? Asher asked. But why? To bring you presents, the man replied, and to see that you are safe and surviving. Despite their entreaties, the man would not come into the cottage. He waited while Asher and Ella opened the bag and took out the things he had brought them. There were packets of their favorite foods from Levithia, cartons of drink, and books to read. Thank you, Ella said as she looked through it all. But I still don't understand why you are here. How are you here? There are people on this planet, the man said, although you are a long way from them here. He pointed into the distance. If you walked for a month in that direction, you might eventually reach Arcadia. And that way, he turned to point in the opposite direction, lies the capital beneath its protective dome. But that is even more distant. Which place are you from? Ella asked. Neither, the man told them. I am not from this world any more than you are. Do you have a ship? Asher asked. Can you take us away from this place? I have a ship, the man admitted, and one day I shall take you away, but not yet. For the moment you are safest here, alone and hidden away. The new emperor of Levithia, your uncle, 
believes you are dead. That is what keeps you safe. But one day... He let the thought hang in the air between them for a moment. Then he turned and walked back into the woods. Shall we see you again? Ella called after him. The man stopped and turned round. Oh, yes, he said, but not for a while. I have much to do, but I promise you I will return. He continued walking away from them, and soon he was swallowed up by the trees. The days turned to weeks, which then turned to months, but the man did not return. Asher and Ella began to enjoy their time in the wood, although they both felt it could never really become their home. The creatures, however, were friendly, and as the seasons changed, led the twins to different sources of food. In return, the twins helped the animals if they were sick or injured. They all lived together in a happy harmony, and the twins settled into their new way of life. Asher and Ella did not realize that a whole year had passed before the man again appeared out of the woods. As before, he hid his features beneath a hooded cloak and brought with him gifts of food and books. This time, though, he accepted the twins' invitation to come into their cottage. He declined any food or drink, however, and he never once lowered his hood. Why won't you let us see your face? Ella asked him. She and her brother had speculated often about why the man might keep his face hidden. They thought perhaps he might have suffered some disfigurement or injury, and Ella said so now. He simply laughed at the suggestion. You will know one day, he said, but until that day, I don't want to get your hopes up. Perhaps next year. They asked him what he meant by this, but he would be drawn no further. Soon he bid them farewell, wished them a happy birthday, and walked back into the woods. Intrigued, they began counting the days. Would the mysterious man return on their next birthday? That would be the day they came of age, the day they would have assumed the throne of the Levithian Empire. It was incredible how completely their lives had changed in such a short time. The children passed the next year in much the same fashion as they had the previous one. They had grown well and truly accustomed to their life on this planet by now, and what had seemed repetitive and boring during their first year here had ceased to worry them. It was nothing more than habit, and they barely noticed the time passing. True to their guess, on the twins' next birthday, the man did indeed appear once more. But this time he brought no gifts. He arrived at the cottage, and as soon as Ella and Asher came out to meet him, he threw back his hood, revealing his face. It was a face they remembered well. Rigel! Ella exclaimed. But it was you who murdered our father, Asher said. Rigel shook his head sadly. I did not kill your father any more than you did, he said. Indeed, I loved him almost as much. But I know who did kill him. 
It was a warm afternoon, so rather than go inside the makeshift cottage, Rigel and the twins walked together through the woods while they talked. It took me a long time to uncover the truth, although, to be honest, I suspected it from the beginning, Rigel told the twins. My friends helped me to escape Levithia before your uncle could have me executed. I could only return to Levithia in disguise, so I had to work in secret. So who did kill our father? Ella asked. I spoke to his physician, Rigel explained. He's a good man, and he too was keen to find out the truth. Of course, we could only meet secretly, but he told me that your father had been poisoned and the sort of poison that was used. It was a rare concoction, but eventually I managed to track down the source. Your father was much loved, so I was fortunate to have help. Just a few months ago, I discovered the identity of the man who provided the poison. And killed our father, Asher said. His face was dark with grief and anger. Rigel shook his head. No, this man did not know who the victim would be. He was horrified when I told him, and only too happy to identify the man who had bought the poison from him. Although he was scared, he did provide a sworn statement. I have had to tread carefully, though, Rigel went on, because the man who bought the poison and murdered your father was his own brother, your uncle, Lord Grath. Asher and Ella were both shocked by this news, but in truth neither of them was much surprised. They all walked on in silence for a while. There are some other things you need to know, Rigel said at last. He sat down beside the twins on a fallen tree on the banks of a fast-flowing stream before he went on. Firstly, the council has pardoned you both. They know you did not kill your father. How do they know that? Asher asked. The Empress physician was able to prove when the poison must have been administered. Your father was away from the palace at the time, and neither of you was anywhere near him. So the council issued a posthumous pardon. They believe, of course, that you are both dead, blown up in the obliteration module. They don't know it went wrong, Ella said. Rigel pulled a leaf from a nearby plant and twisted it round his finger. It didn't go wrong he said quietly. It was sabotaged. Ella and her brother looked at each other, then back at Rigel. By you? Asher asked. Is that how you knew where we were? Rigel nodded. It was the best I could do. I reprogrammed the onboard computer to crash land here rather than detonate the explosives. He looked around. Of all the planets within range, this one seemed to offer the best chance of survival. And, he added, the people here have no interest in getting involved in the affairs of others. They watch and they analyze, but they rarely interfere. We've been happy here, Ella agreed, although we would rather be at home. Rigel stood up, dropping the twisted leaf. Then home is where we shall go. Really? 
Asher and Ella said together. Ever since Rigel had first told them, in his disguise as the hooded stranger, that he would take them away from this place, they had barely dared to hope that they might truly be able to return home to Levithia one day. Really, Rigel replied firmly. I have a statement from the man who sold the poison to your uncle. This statement, along with the other evidence I have collected, proves beyond a doubt that Lord Graf assassinated the Emperor. Your uncle is a cruel ruler, and not loved as your father was. The Council will welcome any excuse to depose him. Then why haven't they already done it? Ella asked. Because there is no one to take his place, or so the Council believes. But now you are both of age, and you have been pardoned of any crime. Rightfully you are the rulers of Levithia. When you return, the Council will depose Lord Grath and have him arrested. I have already arranged for the captain of the palace guard to move quickly when the time comes. <gasps> then it's true, Asher said quietly. We can go home. Thank you, Ella said, taking Rigel's hand. Thank you so much. Will you advise us when we are emperor? Asher asked. We may be of age, but neither of us knows how to rule an empire. Rigel smiled. I shall be happy to do whatever I can to make your rule long and filled with wisdom. But there are two things you have to do yourselves before I can truly help you. Tell us, Ella said, what must we do? Since you have been pardoned, when you return to the palace, you both, as the rightful rulers, will immediately assume your role as emperor. The council will support you, and your uncle will be forced to step aside. Your first act as emperor must be to command the captain of the palace guard to arrest Lord Grath. This must be done before your uncle can rally support or attempt to seize power by force. And what is the second thing we must do? Asher asked. Rigel smiled. I am still sentenced to death, although I swear to you I had nothing to do with your father's murder. Before I can return to the palace and become your advisor, I would welcome an imperial pardon. Asher nodded. I'm sure we can arrange that. Of course we can, his sister said. And so the new rulers of the Levithian Empire walked back through the wood with their newly appointed advisor. They collected what few belongings they had from the cottage that had been their home and said goodbye to the animals that had befriended and helped them. Then they climbed aboard Rigel's small shuttle and headed back to the palace where they had grown up and from which they would now rule their empire.